Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. Uh, this is a pairing that I had planned before we actually launched this podcast uh, two years ago. So I'm very happy to talk about it. I am, of course, your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And I apologize if my voice dips into that ultra deep mode because I have a cold and it is making me sound a little extra manly. Uh, with us, as often, we have Tad Mastroni. How are you doing, Tad? Oh, I really wish that I could have whipped out my starter jacket for this episode. <laughs> nice. it is it is uh it's appropriate nice. this is some 90s goodness here and we also have mandy longley how are you doing mandy good but i don't know what season it is i showed up to the podcast with a popsicle and hot tea as snacks i'm very confused i've confused myself <laughs> that's very well you know what this both of these movies um have zero seasons they're essentially yeah. uh, the night they're the nighttime I the think, nighttime is it's the night season. season just yeah it's night season. season just night darkness yeah well i am very excited the theme of this pairing today we'll talk about part one is diversity super hires um yes it is superhero films featuring leads of color and uh, and how they tried to tackle it in the 90s, which has some pluses and some minuses. Uh, we'll talk about them all. First up is 1997's DC comic adaptation movie, Steel, featuring Shaquille O'Neal. And the next week, we'll talk about part two in the lesser-known cult segment with 1994's Mantis. That is an acronym, M-A-N-T-I-S, which is uh, produced by uh, legendary cult filmmaker Sam Raimi, who actually has a little cameo in the film um and and both of these as i said feature superheroes of color and there's lots to talk about so today we're going to be talking about steel now when steel came out in 1997 it was an abysmal flop it made very little money and uh it, it actually was hampered by the fact that it released two weeks after spawn released which is another uh black led superhero film of course todd mcfarland's <sighs> groundbreaking series uh really the flagship of image comics to this day uh and so that movie really stole the thunder of steel and steel was definitely aimed at more of the younger audience than spawn was at pg-13 and uh it, it kind of and even though P steel was also pg-13 there's definitely less serious drama and violence involved 
in in steel with Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal was an executive producer on this film as well. Uh, lots to talk about with this movie. There's a lot of backstory to both of these films, uh, things happening behind the scenes, but I'll just go over the plot uh, of this film and also compare it real quickly to the plot of, of the character Steel in the comic, the DC comic books, uh, which the character still pops up now and again in the comics. Um, he actually has been portrayed in uh, uh, DC's Legend of Tomorrow, the, one of the Arrowverse WB series, uh, not obviously Shaquille O'Neal. And so the plot of the comics is when Superman famously dies uh, at the hands of, of alien monster Doomsday, um, John Henry Irons, an engineer for a, a weapons lab, is crushed under debris. And when he comes out, uh, he, of course, finds out Superman's dead and all this stuff. He ends up building this, this special alloy metal suit that sort of mimics many of the powers of uh, the fallen Superman and dons uh, an entire metal suit of it and wears an S on his chest, both for steel, but also in memory of Superman. And uh, instead of sort of trying to pretend to be Superman as several other faux Superman did at the time in the comics right after Superman's death, he was clearly a different character. And so he stuck around after Superman came back to life because certainly there's room for all the characters. But anyway, Steel carried a big metal sledgehammer uh, made of the same alloy. And he had all sorts of tricks and gadgets, uh, but mostly he was uh, a smart guy who built a smart suit who bashed things. And it was pretty great. And he went on to his own series that had some, primarily dealt with, with inner city kids and the black community. However, writers uh, of color were not prevalent at WB at that time, or unfortunately even now, although they have many more now. So, it, you know, question, it was not Milestone Comics, uh, which we can talk about later. It was not really headed by a, a Black team. The same can be said for the film. Uh, the film was based on the comics, but it was written and directed by Kenneth Johnson. Kenneth Johnson is, is not Black, um, but he was, uh, he still is rather, a, a well-known film writer. Uh, he's written and directed many things, but he was a writer for television series for a long time. Most recently, the revival of V, the miniseries, um, but he wrote the Alien Nation series, uh, Shadow Chasers, the original V as well. He worked on the Incredible Hulk series with Lou Ferrigno, uh, lots and lots of cool cult stuff. So he, he's not, he wasn't new. He was definitely a veteran. Uh, and he tackled the script and directing on this feature. Now, rumor is he actually wanted Wesley Snipes to play Steel uh, instead of Shaquille O'Neal, but Warner Brothers said, no, Shaquille will sell more merchandise. I think Wesley Snipes would have been a poor choice for this role, personally. Um, I This character, and as in the comics and in the movie, is very approachable to people. He's very kind. He's not very calm, cool, and sort of scary as Wesley Snipes tends to be in lots of his movies. Uh, so I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but I think it would have been a poor, poor match. So in the comic books, he is a, a weapons manufacturer who ends up uh, leaving the field to become a replacement Superman. In the movie, Superman is not mentioned, but he's still John Henry Irons. He still makes weapons, but he makes them for the US military. And after uh, villain Judd Nelson, uh, misuses one of the, the uh, non-lethal weapons that Shaquille O'Neal's character is designing. Uh, Shaq's friend and fellow military engineer, um, Sparky, is crippled 
and she's wheelchair bound. And so he says enough of this after Judd Nelson is, is uh, discharged from the military for his, his poor behavior. Uh, Shaq says, I'm also leaving because I don't want to hurt people. This is not what I got in the game for. So he goes back home to Los Angeles, I believe. Uh, it's, it could be any city to be honest in America, but it is supposed to be Los Angeles and it is Los Angeles. They did film it downtown. And, uh, he ends up seeing that weapons similar to what he developed, which shouldn't be anywhere and aren't officially known by the government are being used by, uh, criminals to break into banks and, and injure police officers, things like that. So he builds a suit, he gets Sparky on board, uh, and sort of gives her a new lease on life because she's been feeling pretty down about herself since she's bound to a wheelchair. And then he becomes steel the hero who fights and finds out that Judd Nelson is the one building these weapons and disseminating them in the streets and trying to make lots of money by selling them to terrorist organizations. Pretty standard stuff. All right. As I said, I actually enjoy this movie, but there's a lot to talk about. This is from 1997. It is sort of, I would almost say the last gasp uh, of true 90s superhero films. Um, I mean, it is... Everything from the redesigned costume to the rewritten story to the casting a big name in the lead for reasons other than narrative uh, effectiveness, potentially. It is, it is 90s to the T. This is every 90s movie that was based on a comic book ever. Uh, all of the, the cliches are in there. It also has some of my favorite lines of all time. We'll get into that. First, I want to go to Tad. Tad, did you see Steel before now? And what were you expecting versus what did you come away with? I did not. I do remember seeing the the, the trailers, but I was, uh, how old were we? Oh God, like 13, 14 when this movie was coming out. Batman, it was the same year Batman and Robin came out. Yes. And Batman and Robin came out after this, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting year for superhero films because it was um, seemingly trending in the goofy direction again, which, mm -hmm. oh boy, I don't think anyone realized what the hell was going to happen. But um, yeah, you're right. Like things really started getting edgy, like after 97, like 98, 99, towards the, towards, you know, the turning of the millennium, we started getting Matrix and everything started getting real gritty and dark again. This, I, I never saw this. I never ended up seeing it. And now I think I understand why I didn't. Because this was, I mean, this was an interesting film. I actually think I appreciate this movie more now than I ever would have when I was a kid. I'd have been like, eh. Same, actually. I mean, I had never read, I had not read Death of Superman until years after this movie came out. So I was sort of shocked, I guess, not so shocked at the same time that this had nothing to do largely with how yeah. that story played out like i was like there's no superman they don't mention superman there's just like he's got the man of steel tattoo they make some references there's a batman reference at the end of the movie and it's like is that it that's it okay um it felt like a made for tv movie and shaq's one of those guys i see him act and he's not bad but at mm -hmm. the same time you you can tell he's just not able to sink into his role he's still just playing shaq yeah, so it's funny because I actually, I felt really bad for him after watching this because this is one of those films like Catwoman that I actually have always wanted to see and 
it was released um small small time on dvd um many years ago but it hasn't been released otherwise but finally they got the hd version on hbo max so you guys uh, streaming out there can watch it um and i i i have read multiple times the death and return of superman arcs and um yeah, and it was nice to see the character, but like you said, they're unrelated, which is no shock. It's sort of like how Venom, the current film series, is necessarily separate from Spider-Man because they they really didn't want to entwine the two right away, even though in the comics they're integral to each other. And this movie, I feel bad because Shaq actually acts more in this movie than he has in any of his other films. Kazam, uh, you know, the, the handful that he made. And actually there's some really good moments. Like I love the scene when uh, Sparky is still in the hospital after, after having her, her spine injured. And she's like, I'll, I'll something like, I'll meet up with you uh, when I'm back on my feet. And the nurse on the other side of the room looks at him and just like shakes her head. No, and he just gives her this like knowing look and it looks back down. He doesn't address it to Sparky in words, but like, I was like, oh, that's a really good moment. And I think you're right. I think he's one of those people that as a character actor, kind of he, he will do really, he can do really well with characters that are essentially based around him. Right. Um, and I, I felt bad that this movie was sort of, that it was, it's been so reviled and yet it's his best acting. And, and that's not to say his acting is terrible. It's actually better than I, had expected yeah like it wasn't like i said it wasn't bad it's just he sticks out like a sore thumb he really does shack gigantic he's He's seven he's he's singular one he's so singular like he's gonna you know stand out anywhere he goes but it's interesting you say this is his best acting because that was my big takeaway which i'm just gonna jump in ahead of my turn i was like (laughs) um because i was like wow um i was really impressed with his acting because my impression or like i guess my prejudice or or idea going into this was that his, his acting was not going to be that good because that's kind of what I remembered from the 90s. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, man, like he's actually really pretty amazing in this. Um, mm-hmm. He had like a decent range of emotion and like a lot of like those like small little beats, like the, the small little moments he did such a good job with. So, And I like that his character is not, he's not overly aggressive as, as like, you you would kind of want him to be in a cathartic way when he's faced with like people beating up his neighborhood or almost killing him or like um or the military being jerks uh he's he doesn't fly off the handle but at the same time he is a strong character like when he's left the military he you know is on a a, uh basically a ride-along with his friend who's become a police officer they're attacked and then the next day he's at a payphone and he calls like his sergeant or whatever talking about the weapons like how do they get out and he's like i don't know they're all accounted for here it can't possibly have happened and he just ends the call with like well maybe you'll figure it out when you get your head out of your ass and slams like phone down and then goes about his day and i mean oftentimes i don't know that we would really see that from a lot of characters especially when talking to the military especially when this is the 90s when military and police are still typically considered the good guys in films and and in the world um and i feel like that's one thing even though this was written and directed by someone who is not black um that's the one thing i think they got right to extent is the villains are essentially wealthy white people who are preying on this lower income community and uh and the the community themselves are left to their own devices to resolve the problem which is why he becomes steel 
let's talk about where the problems come in some of the problems one as you said tad this is the goofy vein this is the batman forever batman and robin vein of of a comic book movie it is it is not quite the spawn level and it is certainly not the mantis level which we'll talk about uh next week in part two of this pairing it you is know we, you know what the you know what we should talk about nate let's mm. talk about the laser shooting wheelchair the best scene in the entire movie so we get and that's the thing too <laughs> is it's clear so as much as the script is sort of people rip this apart the script no it's nothing new but it's actually written serviceably as far from a narrative perspective because we get these hints without really thinking about them that sparky's keeps talking about she's like it's okay it gives me more time to work on my chair like we, she gives you these lines that you don't really think about. And then in the end, of course, Sparky is being held by Judd Nelson and his, his, his street gang of vandals with high-tech weapons and steals there. And it's this big battle royale. And Sparky ends up having like tons of weapons built into her wheelchair and just like spins around and like lasers the shit out of the building. Um, it's It's kind of epic. And... I have to say too, I feel like this movie deserves a little credit for having a character who's wheelchair bound, who doesn't one, get their get their ability to walk back, two, ends up decide, you know, they're not happy about being wheelchair bound, but neither do they end up sort of being defined by that. It's not really at all addressed after that. Um, she is just his, you know, his, his friend who helps him be a superhero. Um, and then she sort of makes the best out of a bad situation, so to speak. And I think that I, don't, I can't really think of too many films where that's addressed in that way. Uh, especially at that time, you know, I know. Um, and that it's like a woman in a wheelchair. Right. Like, like she's also like, I think a little bit braver than like, you yeah. know, like, a, like yeah. a dude or a kid in a wheelchair. Well, and I like to, I mean, it's, it's, it's Annabeth Gish, of course, who is, is, she's a very skilled actress on her own merit and in, in everything else as well. But there's this scene and I feel like people could take it one of two ways, but it's the scene where she's just been recruited by Shaq. He's just busted her out of the, uh, the, um, the sad, um, like rehab veterans, center veterans rehab center yeah where she's just yeah. staring out the window kind of thing in a wheelchair and she's taken to the junk uncle's uncle's junkyard which is where they make their base and get all their parts that quote unquote fall off the back of trucks which i love and um and she falls out of her chair and they have kind of a long scene where the the where steel you know shack and and uncle are watching her and they don't and he's like stops them from moving to help and she lifts herself into the chair, right? She fights to get her way up. And then she looks at him and like knowing that, that they're there. And it's sort of like this gratitude of not being pitied slash doing things on your own slash, oh, I am capable enough to continue on. And um, I liked that. It, it's It's been done before. I mean, King of the Hill did it, you know, for God's sakes. But uh, I thought it was a, a nice use here. And they have this really cute um, Shaq's character and... Uh, Gish's characters have this cute thing they do this like nerd thing where they point their finger at each other and circle it around and then touch fingers um, and it's like their best friend thing and it's so goofy but it it works like it, it, there's something really I thought real and genuine about this and so like when he sees her back in the chair he just points at her and like it's that finger and I thought that that was really cute and there's lots of these little touches throughout that 
it actually elevated it above the bottom barrel for me. Like that's not, that kind of stuff is not in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. You know, like they did. This is the kind of stuff that I feel only um, being on set with Shaq will do because this seems like Shaq's always been a giant goofball and continues to be because he gets himself in the most ridiculous commercials and roles. And he seems to love the general. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The general will save some time. Yeah. I I totally love. And and here's the thing. Everybody's talking about with with totally. I'm just thinking of his like, just like the meme gift that everyone says of Shaq. The, yes, the that one. I was just thinking of how much I mean it's understandable. It's totally awesome that Michael Keaton is going to be reprising Batman in an alternate universe in the Flash film that DC's putting out. That's totally cool. Everybody should be talking about that. But I wish, like, my dream is that everybody talking about is that there is a steel cameo and it's Shaq reprising his role as steel. Because no offense. Who could play this role as effectively as Shaq? He's seven foot one, for God's sakes. He's the size of a, 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 a commuter car. You know, like, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, so, yes. So, there's these cute moments. As I said, it's kind of goofball. People do die. Uh, Judd Nelson is a, a spooky villain. That is... That... I, I really wish I had taken a screenshot. Like it's the most un, it's the two most unceremonious deaths ever, right? Back to back. It's like, no, boom. Oh no. Crash. That's it. They're gone. That's, Are you talking? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, no. the last the last fight scene. The like, last fight where, scene. Where he shoots himself with a nuclear basketball <laughs> and incinerates yeah. himself. <laughs> yes. It's um trying to think of other movies that are sort of of a similar, like ridiculous goofiness. Like it's built like a kid's movie where they let prop people kind of go wild. So you have these funky things that just, they're just fun, but they're stupid. Um, but like Judd Nelson in the beginning, like he gets out, first off, they really skirted a line with this movie where the subtext is that there's racism happening between the villain and Shaq, but they leave it so innocuous and like subtext that I think most people would either at that time, especially most white middle-class people would either pretend it wasn't there or kids wouldn't recognize it or um, literally wouldn't understand. Like for example, when uh, John Nelson's villain is court-martialed and he like is reaming out Shaq who testified against him uh, in the hallway, he's about to call him a name and Shaq's like a big what? And you know that he's, potentially going to call him some sort of slur for black people like that's the implication but it's never uttered and it's never made like exceptionally clear which is probably kind of realistic in a way if you i mean there are plenty of stupid people who 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 call people terrible things all the time but i do feel like they got as close as as warner brothers was willing to get to to that sort of boundary um and then when judd nelson goes to LA, he hooks up with his old buddy who is um, uh, a great character actor. Uh, his name's on the tip of my tongue, but he uh, runs a gun, a weapons company under the guise of a, uh, what, what would you call it? Like an arcade game? Like they hide them in the arcade games. Yeah, and, there were uh, a lot of arcade references in this movie. He, yeah, well, and they also had a lot of product placement, like the Batman Forever arcade machine is in there, <laughs> things like that. But anyway, he goes and he meets this guy, and of course they're they're white, and they have like this deal, and then they just start selling weapons to and using 
gang members in the community as sort of like guinea pigs to test their equipment. Uh, Ray J, by the way, is also in this movie in his biggest role until he directed himself having sex with Kim Kardashian. Um, I believe that's same Ray J, right? I'm not crazy. Anyway, y'all, y'all can uh, Pornhub that for me and find out. But yeah, so uh, anyway, the cast is pretty strong. I mean, it's a relatively solid, uh, you know, summer release cast. Um, we have lots of little character actors in the side. Rutanya Alda is in this and in every other thing on the planet, I think, up until the early 2000s. We have Charles Napier playing yet another army colonel. Uh, we have uh, Richard Roundtree, phenomenal, playing Uncle Joe, which is always a lot of fun. And uh, it's just, it's just, it's by the numbers, right? Like we have, you know, Shaq, we have the fun scenes before Spider-Man and stuff where Shaq's like falls trying to scale a building with his stuff, his armor's falling apart. I actually love the design of his costume, except for the helmet. The helmet is problematic because... And, and, and people have talked about it. It's one of the big things that people hate with this movie is his helmet's supposed to be steel. It's clearly rubber and it moves. That's a problem. Also, they have this syndrome that it's the same thing that was in trouble with Judge Dredd with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Well, the character of Judge Dredd never takes his helmet off, but we're paying for Stallone. So he's taking his helmet off in the first five minutes and that's going to be him for the rest of the movie, right? Uh, I actually had a similar problem with, minor, but a similar problem with... Um, uh, the the recent spider-man film because tom holland has his mask off almost the entire movie and no offense i don't i don't i think of spider-man as spider-man with his hood on i know that there are three of them so it was hard to distinguish so that was an issue but again give fanboys the superhero costume it's one of the things we love um so in this one they they did a similar thing they didn't want to hide all of shaq's face Plus, it's harder to emote, I understand. So instead of making his entire face metal, as he is in the comics, they did the Batman cowl thing. Um, but again, it has flaps on the side. And what happens with rubber when you move as a flap, it flaps. And that doesn't look like metal, folks. That's a problem. Uh, so when he's standing still, not a problem. When he's moving, problem. I also want to talk about the other problem which is that I had as far as the comics go, because I am a comics fan. And he has his sledgehammer, which is super cool, which he only uses as a gun. He can, which is, is cool. And I mean, I actually think if this was in the comics, this I don't remember specifically, but it wouldn't shock me in any way. He flips it and a handle pops out and he uses it as like one of these non-lethal weapon cannon things that he designed. Okay, that's cool. But then he also, you would assume, uses it as a hammer at some point. Never. It is not a hammer. Like he should have hammered in. There's a point where some some um, there's a drive-by shooting and these guys are are gonna ram him. He should have hit it with the hammer and had the car flip over. Instead, he shoots it. It really doesn't. It's just then why not just make it a gun? Why is it a hammer? Like I know the the argument I guess would be is that his name is John Henry Irons and John Henry his namesake is the fictional. Uh, most sources say fictional. I'm pretty sure it's kind of a, a Americana legend where he uh, said, well, I can drive railroad spikes in faster than this steam-powered machine that's going to do it and going to put everybody out of their jobs. And so he has a competition. There's lots of blues songs that tell variations of this. He has a competition and he wins. He puts out more spikes faster and the machine can't keep up, but he dies as a result. 
um, sort of the, the, the marathon man, right? The named after marathon he ran so far and he then died and people are like, cool, I want to do that too. I'm not sure, I'm not sure the background. Anyway, I get it. It's a hammer. Let him use it as a hammer. I also wonder if there were questions because of how goofy this movie is, even though people do die, it's always off screen, etc. I wonder if they were like, well, he can't use a hammer. It's too violent. Kids at home can use a hammer. I can totally see production talking about that. Um, they can't use a hammer. Kids can find hammers at home. We don't want them hammering their neighbor. Uh, again, though, <laughs> it hurts the movie a little bit. I'm going to go, Mandy, what were you expecting from this movie versus what did you get when we came out of this movie? expecting more like shazam or mm. i'm gonna say something that's very like space jam but was that actually michael jordan and not Shaq in space jam correct but yeah, it's that anyway. vibe yeah right and so i think you meant kazam of, instead of shazam, shazam. Yeah. i think i was expecting more of that and this is like i mean although we've talked about it kind of being goofy and whatever it's like it's played a little more straight um mm. serious feel to it like superhero movie uh I was like I said, I was impressed with Shaq's acting um, chops in this one. Uh, I especially enjoyed uh, his relationship with his friend as well as his grandmother. With, like yes, and all of her souffles, but just like him being at home with his family. Um, that's I think where Shaq really shines because he is a big sweetie. Uh, well, you know, if you've ever seen him doing like community outreach and that kind of thing, you know mm -hmm. that it's really genuine and that he just really is uh, a nice guy um it cares about and his people. grandmother just as a notice played by irma p hall who's a fantastic actress she was in she was minerva in midnight of the garden of evil she's been in a million things so she's yeah. yet another um uh image of black acting excellence on display here yeah i found overall i found this whole movie like extremely entertaining and engaging like i kept my interest through the whole thing maybe it's just because i'm a child of the 90s but like i just <laughs> it was like refreshing to watch this film like to watch a film that although it was goofy and it had its problems was like just really watchable all the way through um in like an enjoyable like way like with a decent amount of range of why it was enjoyable like creepy villains that were like super weird and uncomfortable but also him with his family um and his friendship like it's just i don't know i liked it a lot i i did too and and let's, we've talked a little bit about some of the problems, some of the things that are fun. I, again, I agree. I think this is a very entertaining movie. I was actually pleasantly surprised. Whereas I was, I was crushed by how bad I felt Catwoman was um, after having not seen that and, and watching this one, which I wanted to see. This one didn't disappoint. This one actually was quite in line with what I was thinking it would be and maybe a little better because as I said, some of the touches and dialogue between, or the connections rather between the characters were pretty good. Where I think I would, again, I'm a middle-class white guy who grew up in a middle-class white neighborhood, so I can't really speak to any sort of Black experience, and I wouldn't attempt to try, but I would be concerned as a man who is not a person of color writing some of these dialogue lines for, especially for the villains, you know, gang members. I mean, the it sounds a lot of the time like a white person trying to be like the most cringy inappropriate um like black person it, it really really rough sometimes like i didn't even understand some of the things they were saying every once in a while and they they do this like they had 
the code switching was was like clearly part of the script sometimes like when Shaq is talking to everyone else versus when he's trying to be tough to the gang members like you know he code switches into more of the the street language quote unquote that was so popular to, to discuss in the 90s and of course I remember in the 90s we're still having you know discussions on all the daily talk shows about Ebonics should it be taught in schools should it not be taught in schools all these things and so this was very in my head as I was watching this and I mean every every character that is sort of, you know, credited as gangbanger number four or whatever was shouting some line that was like, just, it, it really was supposed to sound cool and it doesn't work so well. And I was skeptical of that. Um, and I do think it's weird because you see that and I don't think we were as sensitive to the fact that, oh, the good characters who are black speak as we would expect normal quote unquote people to speak when he, when Shaq's speaking to his cousin or his grandma or whatever, he speaks as we hear Shaq speak on television, you know, and, and when he's just playing himself, when he's just being himself. And yet all of the villains who are black speak in, you know, this, this sort of exaggerated uh, quote unquote ghetto language that uh, I feel like was so indicative of prejudice especially in the night in 90s television and film right like you could you can speak however you want and be a good person but it's used as a cue in this to be like oh these are dangerous people because they sound different than us uh it's it's not something that steel is unique in this is constant and we still see this sometimes and comics are also extremely guilty of this especially in the 90s uh you know you can pick up any marvel or dc comic and every gang that somebody runs across speaks in some you know really questionable dialectic choice that is not natural but is supposed to tell us oh these are bad people when really it's like you could say oh this superhero who's rich and wealthy or super powerful is beating up on people who have struggled and lived in a microcosm and so they sound different than us uh so it's a problem uh, i think that's a cultural problem but as i said before i also think it does get some things right the you know the the community is of color and they are sort of forced to deal with it themselves because the military and the the white police officers don't seem to be doing anything did did you guys spot is that Carl from Family Matters playing another police officer. Oh, I must have missed it because the, I don't. I, I don't think it. I, I I don't think it. I don't think it is. Um, but it's this is because this would be the same time he was playing Carl. But I did think that I saw him at one point, and I did rewind it, and it's not a very clear cut, and he's not credited, but that that doesn't mean anything. So I'm I'm curious if that's an uncredited appearance. But again, I mean, it would only be what the thirteen thousandth time that he's played a police officer in a movie or TV. I mean, we've got Family Matters, Die Hard, Crocodile Dundee. He's just, or he was a cab driver of Crocodile Dundee. My apologies. But yes, uh, anyway. The uh, Carl Winslow Extended Universe. The Carl Winslow Extended Universe. I was thinking that the whole time. <laughs> um, and anyway, so Steele, I, uh, we can, I mean, I think we could probably move on to recommendations or, or not, right? Because I mean, it, it's a pretty straightforward movie. I think production values are fairly high, but it is a lot of the 90s like lasers and explosions or what we want to see, which I think are easier to do in some way than a lot of other effects like crushing cars or 
I don't know. I also just want to give a shout out to, to some of the most ridiculous choices in directing that I appreciate. Like when Steel, when I'm just calling him Steel, when Shaq's character, John Henry comes back to town, he, he doesn't take any of the big offers from private contractors who are trying to get his military experience. Um, he goes to work at the steel mill. I think hopefully there would be probably a middle ground where he wouldn't have to pour hot molten metal as an engineer. He could probably do something else, but that's okay. He wants to be ground level, but he's of course, seven foot one doing this work. And as he's in this like smoldering steel smelting location, like there are two other workers who are wearing hard hats who are like 20 year old video vixen models walking by staring at his butt and giggling and laughing. I'm like, what steel mill is this? That like, what are their jobs in this steel mill? These two wearing street clothes, women with a clipboard wandering around in, in this like thousand degree melty heat. Everybody else is wearing protective equipment, by the way. And they just have a couple of hard hats. So I liked that moment. I like that Shaq gets to be a sex symbol in this movie. Um, even the police officer that he does a ride along with is like, remember the last time we were in a car? Like, it's just these really sort of, goofy cute moments and it's nice to to have like the big nice dopey guy even though he's also i mean he's not just big he's muscular at this point in time and, and huge but it was nice to give him that also did anybody else notice the uh random like dick joke that that uh probably but not Uncle, i don't Uncle remember it? it's like it's like i did the shaft i like the shaft yeah or something yeah, like that yeah <laughs> I was both, something like I was particularly proud of the shaft. I'm like the really? shaft, yeah, and both, and I'm like, did they intend this to be like an actual shaft Isaac Hayes reference, or or did or... they see it as just a straight up dick joke? Um, Why not? Both? And either way, because well, because yeah. I mean Richard Roundtree, right? Like I mean he's you know that's I I, I feel like it was supposed to be a, a shaft joke like Shaft, the film character, but it ended up being just a, a dick joke. And I don't know if they all just went with that or like what, cause I mean, you know, he plays John Shaft in the 1971 Shaft. So it has to be a Shaft reference, but it plays so much like a dick joke. Um, I just don't know that people got it. I will also say though, um, the, the soundtrack for steel is like, I mean, it's, it's George Clinton land. Like it's this psychofunkadelic black exploitation, um, renewal, which I kind of appreciate. Um, at the same time, having like the, the veneer of, of what I would call like Hollywood blackness put over this movie does make it feel like a product that is packaged and designed to be like hello black people here's something for you which is the wrong way to go about it right um and but it's a very 90s way to go about it uh and and so i think that the, and we'll talk about how i think it's different with mantis which came out of 1994 which we'll talk about next week but has a lot of similarities but very strong differences too uh so i've spouted everything that i wanted to talk about We'll move on to recommendations and I'll start. I do recommend uh, Shaquille O'Neal in, in Steel, 1997. I think that it's an earnest film and it's mistakes or, or things that did not effectively, that didn't do the sort of the justice to the black community that it intended to do. I, I would hope it intended to do uh, is more a product of its time 
uh, that's sort of always a cop out, uh, but I don't think it's, I wouldn't assume it to be particularly offensive. I think that the characters in it are portrayed for the most part in a, a nice way, but at the same time, the dialogue for the villains is downright ridiculous. And how in the world could you guys let me go without having the best line ever uttered in a film by villain Judd Nelson when he is talking to the head of the gang and he's trying to threaten him and he gives him a hot dog and he's eating the hot dog. And this is the last line Judd Nelson says to him before the scene ends on a park bench. He says, eat the hot dog. Don't be the hot dog. And then he gets up and walks away that eat the hot dog don't be the hot dog that is an actual line in this movie um i cannot fathom like judd nelson deserves an emmy for being able to keep his face straight while saying that line because that is truly the greatest feat of acting in modern times because what in the living fuck does that mean what does that mean eat the hot dog don't be the hot dog I have no idea. I, I just, I lost my mind when I saw it, when I, and I've, I've watched this movie <laughs> twice since before. And I was just like, I can't, I can't get over it. Um, It's great. It's, it's absolutely great. It's one of the greatest moments. And that line is actually off the wall insane for the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie is fairly straightforward. That line is not indicative like, of the rest. It's like, just... Don't they bring it back to that moment as well? And he's like, it yeah. was some kind of like meat. Yeah. Cause, the, guy, cause was... the guy's like, I don't mess with pork. And he goes, it's yeah. turkey dog. And he's like, oh, for real? And he eats it. And then at the end, he's like, he's like, by the way, it was pork. And I'm like, is this, like, is he, did they write out the fact that this character is Jewish? Like, what is yeah, happening this, here? I thought I missed something. Yeah, yeah. like, he's, he's, he's not only evil because he kills people at random. He's evil because he made a Jewish kid eat a hot dog. Like, it yeah. was just, it's the weirdest choice. And I, I feel like on set, that must have been, like, a, a laugh riot moment. Like, how... Um, in the Gargoyles cartoon show, uh, Goliath's character says jalapeno instead of jalapenos yeah. at one point. Yeah. And it becomes a running jag that just several times throughout the series <laughs> just screams jalapeno because it really, it doesn't have anything to do. It's a total joke specifically for the makers of the show. Um, That's great. Anyway. I, I love that line. So I give this for my recommendation. Yes, there are some reservations. If you don't like, if you don't like 90s superhero movies where the, the origins of the character are ripped apart, the costumes are redesigned, where film people said, we're going to give the kids the character they want, but we're going to make it cool. Like, well, they liked it because it wanna, already was cool. If you want to be the hot dog. If you want to eat the hot dog, but not be the hot dog, <laughs> then watch Steel 1997. Uh, Mandy, we'll move on to you. Do you recommend Shaquille O'Neal in Steel? Absolutely. It was really cute um, for someone who's seven foot one. I don't know if you can describe him as cute, but it's a superhero movie that's got a lot of heart. And like it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it doesn't like overreach either. And I think that that is smart in this, I mean, this day and age, I wish the more movies did that. Um, but definitely, um, it's just like, like a fun, fun, fun movie night, like possibly a stay home date night kind of movie, just kind of goofy, like keeping it light kind of thing. Yes. Big yes for me. And, and I want to say, here's another background tidbit. Um, there was a uh, talk at one point of, having Tim Burton come back to the DC universe earlier than now, which there's still talks of. 
and doing Superman Lives, which there's been a lot of, you know, leaked drafts of online and things. Uh, and it was after this movie, I guess the third draft that has leaked from that film, Superman Lives, had a scene in it at the uh, Metropolis, I don't know, Cultural Center Museum, whatever. There was a gala. And Shaquille, it was written for Shaquille O'Neal to be there as, as a guest, as John Henry Irons, at which point Lex Luthor and Brainiac as one were to come in and they shot the entire crowd, specifically murdering very clearly and very deadly Shaquille O'Neal's John Henry Irons. And it was supposed to be an inside joke reference to audiences at how Steel was a failed movie. I can tell you this that would have been a terrible choice. Number one, comic book fans would have hated it probably because I would, because John Henry Irons was a successful character on his own right. And having him weirdly murdered in the Superman Lives show. Also, how would he have gotten there? John Henry Irons going to a gala ball in Metropolis? It's just the stupidest thing ever, which is all the more reason why, as much as it would have been an interesting absurdity to have that particular Superman Lives film made, uh, I'm happy it didn't happen. Okay, Tad, do you recommend Steel? If so, why and to who? I do. It's a cute movie. I can't wait to add it to my rotation of 90s films to show my kids in five minutes and they'll go, Dad, this is lame. We don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> also, Judd Nelson, what the fuck were you thinking? It's a weird role for him. I'm sure that he Very was like, well, odd. I want to play the villain, but it's not. Also, his haircut is just weird. It's a military haircut, but he just feels he just you know you said Shaquille O'Neal stands out so does Judd Nelson yeah they both yes. stand out in a weird way in this movie um even though I think that the acting is spot on uh, I don't know what it is it's something about something about how everybody else plays it so straight but Judd Nelson plays it super villain like just a little bigger than life um, and does all the things, even walking into the gun dealer's, you know, posh office and putting his feet up on the count, you know, on the on the desk. Like it's just these these things are so <laughs> they're right on the nose, you know. He, well, it's he, almost he, like uh, Judd Judd went in and was like, guys, you realize this is a superhero movie, right? Am I the only one that's uh, aware this is a superhero movie? Yeah, yeah, it is just gonna feel like that. Um, like he he would be more akin. He he sort of would fit right into. Uh, batman and robin really like you know that that sort of vibe um but anyway yeah so i think we're three recommends but this is not going to win an emmy this is probably not going to have a criterion collection release now should it have a 4k release absolutely um the film looks it looks great i mean it, there's nothing wrong with the visuals of this film i do think that the budget could have more budget could have been put towards bigger set pieces because it is the standard action flick uh, this warehouse that makes empty crates is going to be the scene of our final battle, that sort of thing. Uh, also, watchers of, uh, say, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, which I'm overall a fan of, uh, the bank scene in the in early in this film where they use like a sonic blaster to blow out the bank is a very similar angling to the scene in uh, the first Tom Holland Spider-Man film where uh, he goes and stops the group of guys dressed up like the Avengers. Uh, There's a weird parallel. Just, just, I don't think it was intentional. I highly doubt it, but it's very similar. So as we wrap this part one of super 
<laughs> diversity super hires. I want to again say thank you so much for listening. Please catch next week when we'll talk about Mantis from 1994, part two of this uh, feature collection. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast, Maximum Stars, and uh, leave reviews that tell people to listen because that's how others find us. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell the ones you hate too. It's okay. Everyone should listen. That's what I say. Please send your hate mail to Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com, care of Tad. And if you have any questions, requests all that stuff send it to us via that email or follow us uh actually also follow us on instagram at colton classic podcast and facebook.com uh, slash colton classic podcast and keep an eye on our youtube page colton classic podcast where we'll be uploading all of our episodes so you can watch our smiling faces and to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.